0: Hello, friends and brothers and sisters. I want to talk to you today, personally, but the Lord's words and the Lord's scripture of truth, of course, we wouldn't talk about anything but that. I was in church a couple weeks ago, and we were going through Romans, and Romans fourteen is where we got to, and that was a little that was a little strange for me honestly not in the general sense but in the more specific sense it talks about in part being weak in the faith it also talks about being strong in the faith but our pastor who knows the word very well and is good about explaining it and another guy i listened to in the meantime explained that that means you don't have enough freedom in that area of your life to be considered strong in the faith that's concerning liberty okay they take it to mean and i believe it is, uh, if in part if not in full that the word strong in the faith means that you understand what you have and the freedom that jesus has obtained for you and so you are not bound to certain Things that you would normally feel bound to do or not to do. So he's trying, they're trying to explain that you have additional freedom. And the reason Paul's bringing this up is because he wants to explain how to avoid conflicts in the church, namely in this area. And he says there are strong believers that believe they have and understand they have more freedom in the Lord to do certain things because they know. And then there are weak believers who are, I guess, less mature in the faith or at least in a certain area. Um, And um, they are considered weak because they, I guess, don't have enough freedom in those areas. And, And I understand that, and I'm scratching my head while listening to it, because I know the Lord's getting my attention, and I don't want to misunderstand it. You know, initially, of course, none of us likes the word weak, so I'm thinking to myself, I'm not weak, you know, I'm one of the strong people. But the scripture is telling me that I'm actually one of those who would at least be considered to be in the weak area. So in other words, if if you know the liberty that you have in Christ Jesus, at least as it was preached and explained to me and re-emphasized by another pastor, you're not restricted in certain areas, thus you are strong. Okay? But on the contrary, if you feel like me sometimes, you must do or not do certain things, if they are silent so to speak in the bible or seem to be non-doctrinal issues you don't have freedom in that area you think and so the bible refers to you as being weak and this may well be true and we don't like to think of ourselves like we said as weak in anything so this realization may take some adjusting and humility and this is where it speaks to me but I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and praying about this. So I'm trying to come at this from a uh, a humility's point of view. I'm trying to come at this as I need to learn a point of view. I need to realign myself, possibly point of view. But I also want to find out through the word, if this really is goes at it from a deep enough angle, and I don't want to I'm not a pastor, but I, So I don't claim to be smarter or better than anybody else, or know the word better. But the more I looked into this, you know, I just thought, I think the reason I'm having a problem with this is probably prideful, at least you know, to some degree. But also because if I get past that, I just think the examples or the way that the most of the pastors I listened to on this subject, which were several, to try and get different points of view about how to understand this topic that we're talking about, Romans fourteen is, you know, are they looking at it the right way, or are they taking it, are they interpreting it the right way? Uh, To a degree, yes, probably a large degree, but I think they're going about their explanations wrongly, at least the way I think about things, or how it registers with my brain, or my theology, or you know, my understanding of that. So I wanted to go a little bit deeper. And so, you know, we know the Bible is, we know the Bible is not wrong, ever, so... We need to realign ourselves with it, but at the same time, we need to know what we're we're realigning ourselves to, so we have to know what it means. Now, this weaker Christian, these weaker Christian issues, uh, some pastors mention when they're talking about this, to me, are not tangential, meaning they're not going off on a tangent. They're not, you know too far away. They need to be pulled in and reined in and talked about, discussed, okay? They can always, in truth and in principle, be traced back to doctrinal issues that are important. In other words, I'm seeing this the way it's explained by my pastor and several pastors in a certain way, which is right. But at the same time, I think they go off on this and stick to this little area as a list of what they call silent areas or whatever in the Bible or or non-doctrinal issues. And that I just, I I don't think is correct. I think from, from what I take away from the Bible, what I believe the Bible is saying, is that that may be true to a degree, but... The reason I don't quite wrap my head around it completely is because um, it needs to be explored further, or they need to take it deeper, or they don't need to focus so much on this list of these gray areas and go through them, you know, what they call gray areas. And I don't think there are any because even though the Bible doesn't say thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do that, because it just doesn't mention it, or or it's a tertiary issue in, in the Scripture, or. Um, it's something we have today that they didn't have back then, you know, like technology and things like that, so they're not going to mention it. But we don't need to take those things as, as if they're unimportant. The Bible covers everything. God knows all things from beginning to end, from before man ever was created until the end of the age and beyond all eternity. So I, I, there are... They may not be mentioned, but they're covered in terms of doctrinal issues and and, and, and um, uh, principles. Okay, they can be traced back to that. Um, there is always a sound biblical reason to avoid these things. By the way, they 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 ta- Paul is talking about opinions, you know, rather than things we know are absolutely biblically true or whatever because they're concise and they're clear. Um, and then the other people would say that's, they would, they would wrap up the other side of the uh, story as saying convictions. You know, you have your opinions, I have my convictions, you know, so it doesn't say the word conviction, but I think that that's a fair way to describe that. Um, so like I said, they can always, even if they're not mentioned, we don't want to call that a gray area or a silent area, because they're going to be touched on to a degree, whether they're specifically mentioned or not, in Scripture somewhere. And, and I would dare to say in both the Old and New Testaments. So you just have to go deeper, really. Um, but that's just me right now, okay? There is always a sound biblical reason to avoid these things, as far as the people that would be considered stronger Christians are concerned. So does that mean we should indulge ourselves in them because we have freedom? That's what I seem to be hearing, even though I don't hear those words. In other words, if it's an area the Bible is silent about, and we don't think it's a very strong, big doctrinal issue, then you have your opinion about it, I have my opinion about it, or I'm very convicted about it, but I have freedom in the Lord, so I can do it and not feel guilty or whatever, or I don't think it's wrong, and you... Are weaker not stronger but weaker because you think you you do have a, an answer for that or or a conviction about that so you know that, that that struck me as being opposite but you know i need to realign myself with it now paul says okay well let me back up a minute we asked does that mean if we have freedom and we believe we do and we're called a stronger christian and i'm not I'm trying to be careful not to say that Scripture is not right because Scripture is absolutely right, okay? And I'm not trying to redefine it. I'm not trying to be deceiving myself or anyone else. But if we have freedom in a certain area, and we believe that, does that mean that we should indulge ourselves in these areas because we have freedom? On the surface, I think it would say yes, Okay. Paul says no if it's going to make a brother or sister stumble. And it's talking about walking in love, okay? And this is not. If you do that, if you have freedom and you feel strongly that you have the freedom, that would be, okay, you have that opinion, you have that freedom, that grace, you are the stronger Christian. And you, you choose not to do something because it's going to make your brother stumble or sister stumble, or have an obstacle in their faith, or maybe even walk away from the faith, and that's not walking in love, and that's really what this all is talking about. And I totally agree. I totally agree. Now, 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, they talk about giving up our rights, which is basically the same thing, okay? We lay aside whatever Christian rights we may truly have to love each other. And that's what our Savior did for us in a big way. So we need to do that. We need to um, exemplify that. We need to follow that. But what about other issues? And that's what we're talking about. My pastor mentioned movies as one of the categories, about a dozen or so that he talked about briefly. Uh, What about music or concerts? What about clothes, tattoos? Are these just surface issues not specifically addressed in the Bible? That's what my pastor was talking about. Or as far as I see it, is there something else at stake like holiness or one's Christian reputation before unbelievers or giving others reason to blaspheme the Lord, which is mentioned in the Bible? Okay, the Bible clearly Friends is not wrong ever. So what are we to do with this? What am I to do with this? Is this passage saying what appeared? What it appears to be saying. I mean, this passage mentions opinions, which in the Greek is the word dialogismos, meaning a reasoning back and forth. Okay, meaning it isn't spirit revealed. It's something you reason with your mind okay Now maybe there's something we're missing or misunderstanding or misapplying and I tend to think maybe that's what it is now many as I said I've talked and listened to many explain this passage is summed up as opinions versus convictions although the word convictions as I said before isn't mentioned by Paul but that doesn't matter convictions are very strong things personally and they should be our pastor and another pastor both talked about how different people can have different convictions and how this passage is about not letting these smaller non-doctrinal issues divide us and I agree with that too okay There's way too much division in Jesus's church already Although much is warranted okay because of doctrinal larger issues even in the church today then I would suggest being honest with ourselves, myself included, and search out, with the Lord's help especially, where these strongly held convictions come from that actually make us appear to be in the weak category. We should renounce them, if they're personal rather than biblical, at least in origin, in order to have unity. And true liberty. If our convictions are biblical, we should all be in agreement on them, right? But if they're not biblical, then we should lose them and realign ourselves with the Word of God. So, if we've got a strongly held conviction, then we need to figure out, is that biblical or is there something else? Where's the origin of that? Ask the Lord. He will reveal these things, okay? And we need to know, because if they're not biblical, we can let them go. But if they're biblical, then we need to stand on them, right? That's why it's a conviction and not an opinion. So that's why I'm scratching my head about how if I've got a conviction about something that's true and biblical, and it's right, assuming that it is and it's not got some other source, I should stick to it, and then how would that make me weak? I I don't know. But, But the Bible says that. It's not just the pastors. The Bible says that. So I've got to understand that, and so do you. Now, Paul says elsewhere that he wishes all would prophesy like him. And that's in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 and 5. And he says in another place, which is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 4 through 7, that he wishes that all were unmarried like him. Now, that's he just talking in Romans 14 to new, less mature believers, and that's why he's making a concession. But when they're mature, they should we they should all think and act more in accordance with him yes or is he really just conceding that there will never be full unity in the church especially over smaller issues what about the passage that says put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh or is it mostly about the particular issues that he mentions specifically is it more narrow in scope than what these pastors say or what we seem to interpret it as maybe there doesn't need to be a dozen things on the list maybe it needs to be small like these things that paul is talking about in other words should we be more careful not to broadly apply this principle to a longer list i don't know but that's that that could be be on the safe side sure but I don't want anybody to lose their liberty either. For instance, our pastor mentions movies, like I said before, and he seemed to suggest from including them in his list, that if the stronger believer, he didn't say this, but I'm saying this from what he said in his message regarding everything and what the pa- what he interpreted this passage as saying, and he included movies in the list that I'm saying, he seemed to suggest that if the stronger believer could handle them, then they have the liberty to watch them. If they're solid Christian movies, and many of them aren't that good either anymore, I'm not not a lot, not a ton of them, but there are several that are supposed to be good Christian movies, and they shouldn't they shouldn't be watched. I know because I've seen them. If they're solid Christian movies, then there should be no problem anyway, and the stronger and weaker can watch them. But if they're secular movies, even if some are stronger, should they necessarily expose themselves to watching violence, people getting drunk, wearing immodest clothing, to say the least, or even being partially or fully nude, hear cussing, taking the Lord's name in vain, which happens all the time? You see what I'm saying? If if they're stronger that means they've got more freedom in the Lord. And movies were on the list by not just him, then that would seem to suggest, unless I'm wrong, that you could go out and watch just about any movie you wanted to without, you know, without obvious wrong things like X and or stuff like that. But but then there would be a problem, I think, because they would be exposing themselves to violence. To people getting drunk, to wearing clothing that they need to be wearing, and like we said, there's even partial and full nudity in some of these things. And hearing cussing almost all the time, and we hear taking the Lord's name all in vain all the time, all the time. Now if that's the case, then what about James one twenty-seven? Why would James say keep oneself unstained from the world? which you would not be doing if you exposed yourself to those movies even if you thought you had freedom to do it and then first peter one, fourteen through 16 uh goes back to to leviticus he says, be holy as i am holy in all your conduct which that would definitely not be how am i to reconcile what paul is saying in romans 14 with what james and peter are saying as it pertains to things not mentioned in the bible quote unquote you see what i'm saying so even if these movies aren't mentioned in the bible the principle and stuff is mentioned in the bible they can be traced back to the bible they're not tangential issues they're still connected to doctrine so i mean i I gotta figure out what this means now the spirit of god speaking through men does not contradict himself so is this me And if so, how should I understand? How should we understand and apply this scripture? Now, Romans 14 is obvious. So I've got to figure out what's wrong with the way it's being interpreted or preached by many preachers, because they're all taking the same angle, and they're all limiting in scope what they take. It's kind of like... They're good pastors, but for some reason I, I feel like they're getting a surface understanding of it, almost like as if it doesn't even need revelation or prayer. It just needs man to read it and say, "Oh, I get this," and talk about it. And I don't say that to be mean or point fingers or anything like that. There's just got it just doesn't all add up to me. God, God constantly tells us, Old and New Testament, just like we just talked about Leviticus and First Peter and other places. Be holy as I am holy, and not in some of your conduct, in all your conduct. And James says, "Keep yourself unstained from the world." okay so even if what you think you have the freedom to do doesn't hurt your brother or make him stumble you think you have the freedom to do it and you say it's not mentioned in the bible so i can i can do it i can handle this you know it's not, i'm not gonna trip up myself but maybe you will you know so how is that not how do i reconcile those things again our pastor and yet another man a third pastor mentioned the scripture when jesus said and this is right to mention it it's what comes out of a man that defiles him not what goes in yes yes i agree of course i do it's jesus's words but now i'm thinking if you think you have the freedom to go to a movie But the cussing and the immodesty and the drinking and the taking of the Lord's name in vain goes into your ears and your eyes and your mind and your heart enough. And over time, those things God does not approve of will eventually come out of your heart and mouth. So, what was Jesus talking Something from outside, not in the food sense, but something outside like a movie doesn't defile you. Yeah, but watching it will end up defiling you if it's not a good Christian movie and it's got all these things we talked about, which so many of them do, and songs and TV nowadays and all sorts of things. So, I'm not, I would not dare to say that what Jesus is saying or that anybody else in the Bible is saying is not true, but... But then, what do you do when you get across these things? You, you know, I, okay. I'm just, I'm still thinking to myself. I don't understand this. But I hope, hopefully, you can maybe write me something back and tell me. My email is Ken underscore Reynolds, That's r e y n o l d s at live. If you want to pass on something to me, that's not an opinion, but it's. Biblical. Okay, we we want to go Biblical all the time, and I do too. Okay, so they, they, the men, pastors, preaching on Romans 14, anybody, say this is talking about matters on which the Bible is silent. But I don't see that Scripture actually is silent. Okay, it might not mention or address a particular area by name, or particular area of life by name or a subject or a topic or anything like this especially in the context of Romans 14 but but I wholeheartedly observe and I believe because of that that the word does indeed mention issues in other areas of the Bible either directly or indirectly through pointed inclusion and instruction or by principle so we're not left to wonder or guess to be strong or to be weak for instance in verses 2 and 14 again this is romans 14 verse 2 and 14 paul alludes to what the father told peter in a dream about how nothing including people (laughs) is to be considered unclean he alludes to this he doesn't mention it but if you know the scripture he's talking about that um i understand that this to avoid eating meat possibly or known to have been sacrificed to idols and i can put myself in this category easily can be applied in not doing anything that gives even the appearance of evil scripture talks about not doing that uh, Peter says again to be holy in all your conduct conduct so there's definitely wisdom in avoiding doing something so as to avoid the slippery slope of what may and most likely will lead to sin and that by they, by saying that I mean by slippery slope I mean once we breach or give in to an area that we've stood against or held firmly to and rightly so. Then once we start to cave on that a little bit, then that's going to may, but probably will eventually lead to sin. You know, it's very easy once you have an area closed, and when you start to open it, you've made a concession to start conceding, conceding, conceding even more, you know, and it it'll it be easier to get someplace where you never thought you'd be or you never thought you'd find yourself. Similar mm-hmm. thing for lying, you know, if you start lying, then the more you lie, the more you can't keep up with what you, what is true and what is not true, and so we don't want to go down that slippery slope is what I'm talking about, so in my opinion, it's much better just to hold off on that, and because of that, it does. It's. I, I don't understand the weaker, stronger argument, and I don't understand really the fact that it's silent on it because maybe it's silent on the issue by name, but it's sure not by principle or instruct doctrinal instruction. If um, now, let me say something. Since the passage, not if, but since the passage mentions conscience. Should we really leave matters up to our individual consciences? I mean, if we have a godly conscience, we should all be in agreement, right? If we have a fleshly or carnal conscience, at least for a moment, we will see things differently and will probably justify or rationalize whatever it is that the stronger person is doing. If in doubt, isn't it better just not to do it? I believe so firmly maybe it's me very likely or maybe as i mentioned earlier it's the items on these lists that the pastors are putting forth that should be uh, re-examined as to their inclusivity okay they're talking about stronger christians having more liberty but maybe the liberties we take don't lead us to freedom but rather to eventual sin so the liberty list Needs to be narrow and not too broad. And maybe that's why Paul only mentioned a couple of areas. Not to restrict our freedoms, plural, but to safeguard our collective and individual freedom, singular. And maybe I'm taking this way too far and extending it beyond what Paul was communicating to the church at that time. But his message was just not to let smaller issues divide us. But it comes on the heels of love in chapter 13 and other, uh, and not gratifying our fleshly desires. Uh, I mentioned before and even earlier today, I'm not a pastor, but I do believe many of them take this liberty issue too far by extending it into areas they themselves mention that Paul doesn't. Maybe that's part of it. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, 1 Thessalonians 4 through 7, or 4-7, I'm sorry, all say a form of this. Be holy as I am holy. And this theme is a thread throughout the whole Bible. Why? Because God is holy. Our sins, our darkness, our unholiness separate us from God, Isaiah tells us. He is willing to to reconcile us to himself he wants to sanctify us to make us more and more christ-like christ and god are the are one and the same so he says be holy because i am holy be holy like i am holy be holy as i am holy so to me romans 14 goes beyond just not arguing with your brother over certain issues paul is addressing the need to love one another and not to do anything to make your brother or sister stumble or fall or trip or fall away completely from a saving faith in the lord jesus christ which is the only way here to spend eternity in heaven it's not being restrictive or legalistic as a lot of people would say to in love not arguing aim to be holy that's a high bar yes but god himself has set that bar and he is the bar and he has set boundaries for us from the beginning of creation okay you remember genesis 2 and the lord god commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree in the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of god and good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die okay there was a caveat there was a restriction there was a um, a, a, a wall or a protective area or an obstacle to that okay we're to live and enjoy peace and love and righteousness within these framework, these holy parameters now, I know my own failings, I know my own, my own temptations, as all men have. And know from Scripture, Romans 7 and Romans 8, Romans 8, that I don't always walk according to the Spirit, 100% of the time. Jesus certainly knows this. So it's best not to get too comfortable in my liberty so as to slip or or, or stray from my command towards holiness given to me by my father if i'm restricting my liberty in order to guard myself against sin and especially today not to wade into the muddy waters of false doctrine which lead to apostasy in order to love the lord my god with all my heart and not not to dishonor Jesus' sacrifice for me then it is a must okay the lusts of our flesh the 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. These are Paul's words to the Roman believers, and he echoes these loving instructions to the believers in Corinth, too. Like I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, But take care that this right that you think you have, the freedom or liberty of yours, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Maybe those of us who think we're strong need to realize we may belong to the weak category. I'm talking to myself, but you need to examine this too. This is what I felt in my church seat when this passage was introduced, and this is humbling. But it doesn't need to be shrugged off either, okay? What is Jesus telling us? Telling me, telling you. First Corinthians nine, four through six mentioned this this, that, that, that the the right, the freedom, the liberty to eat and drink, and the right, the freedom, the liberty to take along a believing wife when you go somewhere, and the ministerial right, or freedom, or liberty to refrain from working for a living. These all belong to that category. Okay? Verse 12 says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, or this liberty, or this freedom that we have, but we endure anything, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is mentioning this in First Corinthians, and he's mentioning it again, but in different circumstance. I guess you could say, in um, Romans fourteen. In First Corinthians again, in verse fifteen, it says, "But I have made no use of these rights or liberties or." privileges or freedoms and verse 19 says for though i am free from all i have made myself a servant to all meaning people okay so lord of heaven and earth what am i to make of all this what do you want to instill in me I perceive in my spirit through your Holy Spirit that you're telling me that my rights and freedoms and liberties, all of them or any that I may have, doesn't matter whether I include myself in the strong or the weak category, are to be surrendered or given up or not grasped or taken advantage of for two reasons. Not just one, like Romans 14 is suggesting on the surface. Okay, Matthew 22 37 through 40 says you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the great and first commandment jesus says and a second is like it you shall love your neighbor especially your brother and sister in christ as yourself he says on these two commandments depend all the law and all prophets so we love our neighbor by not doing anything to possibly make them stumble which means trigger a trap or to ensnare someone to cause them to err err or to sin or to fall or to make them think or speak or act carnally okay not according to the spirit savior the lord jesus christ who is to be exalted and thanked and praised and lauded and obeyed and submitted to and given preeminence. That means first place, of all first places. I love you when I say this. And if we find ourselves or think we're in the weak category, remember the Lord's words to Paul and us. In 2 Corinthians twelve nine, this is very important. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So if you find yourself like me, discovering that maybe you're in the weak category, that's okay. In fact, that's probably a good thing, right? We want the power of Christ resting upon us, not just touching down on us, but resting, dwelling, remaining upon us. So that's why Paul says, if I'm weak, then that's a good place to be. But listen to the Lord not to me. you know, occasionally I like to share my inner um, struggles or my yet unknowns, you know, with you. Uh, of course, I go through it all myself. first, and write it down, and listen to the Lord, and sometimes I come to definitive conclusions, most of the time I do, In this I think I do too, but I think there's still a bit left open, because of what the word says, I haven't fully grasped, that yet, do I need to consider myself in the weak category, do I, you know, how do I reconcile saying I'm strong in the Lord, so I have freedom to do it, but if I do it, that means that probably I'm going to end up in some kind of sin, because I'm going to let myself do something I probably shouldn't be doing, even though I say I have the freedom to do it, and so, anyway, get with the Lord, not only pray to Him, but listen to Him, He wants to us to be clear on these matters and too many times we ask we listen and then we just don't get an answer and we stop we need to be still and listen for minutes for an hour for days whatever it takes whenever we can until we get the answer that the Lord is trying to give us clarity on I'm going to do it too God bless you